The Bible is open to Exodus chapter 12. We are continuing our series through the Bible, as we've called this series, God's Great Love Story. We have been looking through uh, the month of February. We looked at the book of Ruth, and we looked at those four chapters in, in Ruth, and we saw how Ruth's story was actually our story. We, we saw God's love story on display. Two weeks ago, we looked at Adam and Eve and we saw original sin and how sin came into the world and what the first Adam failed in, the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, fixed. Last week, we saw sin requiring a sacrifice. We looked at Abraham and Isaac and we saw how this was simply a prototype of what God was going to do, how another father would come and sacrifice his son This time there was no ram, though, caught in the thicket. God the Father sacrificing God the Son. No one there to stay the execution. This week we turn to perhaps the most important story to the Jew in the Old Testament. We turn to the story of the Passover. This week we see salvation. We saw sin. We saw sacrifice. Now in God's great love story we see salvation. Remember, I hope that you see that as we talk about these Old Testament stories, yes, they, they stand in and of themselves. They, they are stories and they are legitimate, true events that happen and, and they have their own meaning. However, what we are doing is we are looking at them and we're saying, look at the even more closer meaning to the cross. There is a greater meaning that we pulled out of Adam and Eve, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, the virgin birth. Well, crush the head of the serpent. Last week, we we saw in the sacrifice, Abraham and Isaac, that it wasn't about the sacrifice of Isaac. We said, Abraham, it was all about the sacrifice of Abraham and, and how another father would come. This week, we're going to see yet again, the Passover is just a foreshadowing of what God is going to do in the New Testament through the person of Jesus Christ. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. We'll be in Exodus chapter 12. And I'll begin reading in verse number 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Father, as we open your word here today, I pray that you will move in power in this service as you did in the first. Father, open our eyes and open our hearts that we can learn and we can also heed your word. For it's in Christ's name we pray and God's people said, please be seated. The cross is central to the Christian. And while the cross is the central piece for the Christian, the, in the same vein, the Passover is central to the Jew. So as Christians look at the cross, the Jews hold the Passover in the same reverence as Christians hold the cross. As we look to the cross as our symbol, the Jews look to the Passover as theirs. 
interestingly enough, they happen on the same day on the calendar, Nisan 14, Nisan 15. While the original Passover, uh, the month of Nisan on the 14th, 15th day is when it happened. The original Passover with Moses, though, happened 1,200 years before the Passover with Christ. These events, they are on the same day on the calendar, though separated by 1,200 years. Now, this is important. Because what we find in the Passover account, what we find here in the book of Exodus is simply, as I've already said, a precursor for the things to come. It is simply God saying, this is my love story, and I'm going to show you how it even gets better in the person of Jesus Christ. He institutes the Passover, and then what we see 1,200 years later, what I hope we will see from the message today, is God shouting from the heavens, yet another story from the Old Testament, and how he brings it through fulfillment through the person of Christ in his love story. Three points for today's message. The first one is this, that sacrifice is required. Sacrifice is required. Egypt in the Bible, anytime you read Egypt in the Old Testament, Egypt is always symbolic of the world system. Egypt is symbolic of slavery and, 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 and bondage. You say, well, how did the Hebrews, how did the Israelites, how did they wind up there in slavery? Well, let's go back on our story from last week. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of his sons' name was Joseph. His brothers hated him. Joseph was beloved by Jacob, but his brothers hated Joseph. And so his brothers sold Joseph into slavery, and Joseph wound up in Egypt, remember, in bondage. And there is where Joseph wound up. He he was dreaming great dreams, but yet he found himself in slavery. He found himself in bondage. And so Joseph was in prison, and God took a prisoner, and he made him a vice president. He, he took him from the lowest of low, and he raised Joseph up, and he put Joseph as second in command over Egypt. This was all in a part of God's story and God's providence and God's sovereignty. For you see, the whole land became a famine. There, there was a great famine that hit the land. And God spoke to Joseph. And, and so he was able to prepare Egypt to, to store up enough food for when the famine was to hit. And so Joseph's family, they were hit by the famine and they come to Egypt. And Joseph, because of all the things that happened in his life, was actually able to save his family. Now, Jacob and his sons, the sons of Israel, they moved to Egypt. All of their, their the sons, all of the daughters, all of the kids, the grandkids, the great-grandkids, the servants, the hired hands, everybody moves to Egypt. This large group of Jews now move, uh, the followers of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, move now to Egypt. One of the most sobering verses we find, though, in the Bible, as we open up the book of Exodus in chapter 1, it says that Joseph died. A new Pharaoh was in the land. And this Pharaoh, the Bible says, knew not Joseph. He did not know what Joseph had done. He, he did not care about the, 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 the visions that God had given Joseph. And this new Pharaoh, Ramses, comes on the scene and, and, and he is, uh, he is hell bent to take these Jews and enslave them to, for them to build pyramids, for them to build other things. And so we pick up our story at the Passover. God raised up a Jew. By the name of Moses, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. 
God spoke to Moses and he told him that, that he was going to use him to, to lead the Hebrews out of the land of bondage, out of the land of Egypt and into the land of promise. Moses told Pharaoh to let God's people go and Pharaoh's heart became hard and, and he refused to do this. So God sent plagues and this is the, the story of Exodus leading up to what we just read. God sent plague after plague after plague, terrible plagues, 10 in all. Plagues of lice, plagues of, of flies, plagues of boils, water turning into blood, disease upon the livestock. And so the tenth and final plague was the death of the firstborn. It was a judgment on the firstborn son of Egypt. And all that was in the land of Egypt, there would be this deathly plague, this, this, this death angel that would come against the firstborn and, and they would die. And with each passing plague, Pharaoh's heart became harder and harder and harder. And as his heart grew harder, he made it even harder on the Jewish slaves. Again, the final judgment brought forth the death of the firstborn son. Now, God provided an out. He provided a sacrifice for the Jews. The believing Jews were to take a lamb, a lamb without spot, a lamb without blemish. As you read the story, they are to take this lamb into their house for three days to make sure it was pure, to expect, to inspect the lamb. This little lamb they had been examining beginning the tenth day and now the fourteenth day of the month in the afternoon. At three o'clock in the afternoon, the, the New Testament calls three o'clock in the afternoon the ninth hour. It was at three o'clock in the afternoon that the father, the head of the house, would take that gentle lamb, take that lamb without spot, take that lamb without blemish, and he would take a knife. He would raise up its head and he would cut its neck. The blood would begin to pour out and he would catch that blood in a basin. So here is this sacrificed lamb. Here is this basin of blood. And God said, I want you to take that blood, take a hyssop branch and, 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 and take that hyssop branch and put it on the door frames of your house. You know what a hyssop is? Hyssop is a very common shrub. A, it was, it's actually a weed. For those of us that are going to Israel in two days, you're going to see hyssop all over the place. Hyssop grows out of every crevice, uh, even in the homes. Hyssop is, is a very common a weed in the Middle East. And so God says, take this common weed, pluck it out and dip it in the blood and apply that blood on the doorposts of the house. Now, had you lived in the land of Egypt that day, there would have been no secret as to whose houses belong to the Jews and whose houses belong to the Egyptians. I mean, it would be easy, right? You can see from the doorposts, here's a believer, here's not a believer. Here's a believer, here's not a believer. Here's the blood. There's no blood here. Here's the blood. There's no blood here. And so you can see that night, that faithful night, the Passover night, that the death angel that was going to pass over, you could physically see the believers from the non-believers. You see what I'm saying? Now, friend, there required a death of the lamb. There also had to be a declaration of the lamb. They needed to see the blood. God said when I see what others can see. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
So the blood was required. The sacrifice was required. This lamb had to give up its life, and the blood had to be spilt for the death angel to pass over. That's point number one. Sacrifice is required. Number two, as we continue to read our story, we see the sin is removed. Sin is removed. And so what happens? God did what he said he would do. So on that night, the Passover night, the, 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 remember the father at 3 p.m., the ninth hour, he would kill the lamb. He would apply the blood. That night, as the Jews went to sleep, the death angel passed over and the, the, the firstborn son of those who did not apply the blood died. Pharaoh lost his son. He wanted to do whatever he could to get rid of the Hebrews. So he let him go. He, this is the verse that we read. He said, get out of here. Be gone. And as the children of Israel began to pack up their things, the Bible says they left in haste. As we continue to read the story, the Exodus, they, they began with urgency to leave. On the evening of uh, after the Passover, God told the Jews, get up, get your things. And as you exit Egypt, don't even allow your bread to rise. Grab everything and go. Now the... He said, don't let your bread rise. Don't let the leavening, don't let the leavening touch the dough. Just bake it and go. Now in their haste, they grabbed necessities. They, they grabbed those things that were important to them. And God said, and, and this was established later on in chapter 13 and following, that this became the feast of unleavened bread. And so you have the feast of Passover. And then the Jews came out of this feast because of the time that they left in haste. They were to celebrate for seven days. Seven is the number of perfection. It doesn't uh, say that they practiced this in seven days in this story. But after this, they began to have. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a feast of, of seven days a week. And so it shows it shows completion. It shows uh, that, that, that God was was doing something here. And so the, the point is that, that here, as they were leaving Egypt, they left and they, they, they were told, don't even put the yeast, don't put the leaven in the dough. Yeast or leaven in the Bible, do you know what it's symbolic of? It's symbolic of sin. Paul warns us in the New Testament, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Get rid of it. So we see the sacrifice. We see that sin, the leaven is removed. Now there's another scene to our story. As, as the Hebrews leave, the, the death angel passes over, the leaven is removed, they leave in haste, and now we come to the salvation being realized. We begin to trace the steps of the Hebrews. You see, they haven't reached salvation yet, have they? Yes, they've, they've left Egypt, but are they safe? Well, if you know the story, you know they're not saved. Pharaoh is going to be bearing down against them. Pharaoh said, let them go. But as we read the story, we see that salvation did not come until actually three days after the Passover. Three days after that lamb was killed is when salvation actually happened. Your Bible says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, that they left the city of Ramses and they went to a city called Succoth. S-U-C-C-O-T-H, Succoth. It's 20 miles away from Ramses. So they, they left this, they left Ramses, they went to Succoth, and uh, it was a day's journey. From this point, from chapter 12 to chapter 13, there's a hiatus. 
there's a conversation that happens. God begins to institute the Passover. He, he begins to institute the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And as you read these parts from 12, uh, 37 through the midway through chapter 13, all you see is God speaking to Moses and saying, I want you to do this and I want you to remember this. So all of this is happening during the move from Ramses to Succoth in 12.37. Now, our story picks up in chapter 13, verse 20. The Hebrews' first full day outside of Egypt, they were told to leave Succoth and go to Etham. There they spent the night. Again, this is another journey of about 20 miles. The Hebrews' second day, second full day outside of Egypt, God told them to go in chapter 14, verse 2, to a city called Pi-Haharoth. I just butchered that name. I cannot say it. But the city, it literally means the city at the mouth of the river, at the coast. And so he was, the Hebrews went to this city that I'm not going to even try to pronounce again. And so on their third day, they wake up. And let's see what they experienced on their third day. Look in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 10. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10. Notice what happened. They're here in verse 9. There, You see that word. They're there in that city. And then verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you would have taken us away to die in the wilderness? They've been out of Egypt for three days. And they're saying, they're, they're complaining. You see, they haven't realized their salvation yet. They, they, they're, they're still in the middle of the understanding their salvation. And they're, they're looking at Moses and saying, Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Why did you have to bring us out here to die? Verse 12, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. Notice what he said in verse 13. Underline this in your Bible. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. <laughs> they haven't realized their salvation yet. So their salvation is, is coming. Their salvation came in the fact that as they look behind them, here comes Pharaoh with all of his chariots, and, and they're bearing down against the Israelites. And, and God does, he did something amazing. He, he said, Moses, stretch out your staff. And, and Moses stretched out his staff, and the Red Sea parted. You said, do you really believe that? Yes, I believe that. The Red Sea parted, and it parted enough, and the Israelites walked across the seabed of the Dead Sea, or the, the Red Sea, as if it were just dry land. And as they made it to the other side safely, they looked back, and God let the waters fall on top and crushed those Egyptian soldiers. This is the story of the Passover. This is the story of Jewish independence and Jewish salvation. But friend, it's also our story. Remember the story, the Passover is just a snapshot of what God is going to do later. I want us to remember our three points here today. 
Because what we see in the Passover in Exodus chapter 12 and 13 is exactly what we see in the Passover when we come to the, the, the time of Christ and the four Gospels we find in the New Testament. We're not in bondage today to Egypt as they were, but remember we said Egypt in the Bible is symbolic of the world. We're in bondage to the world. We're in bondage to sin. We realize that we can't save ourselves. We're enslaved to our sin. We're under its control. And just as those Jews who were in bondage to Egypt, we are in bondage to sin. Now God is teaching us a lesson here. He's saying that you can try to be as good as you want. You can try to do as many good things as you want, but you cannot save yourself. You cannot pick yourself up by your bootstraps and save yourself. He said in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or forgiveness of sin. You, you can't just, you can't just do good or can't just go to church or just read enough Bible. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Did you know that there's a lot of people in our culture today, they don't like to hear things like that, especially in the church world. There are whole denominations that have met and, and had meetings about pulling the blood out of their hymnal. They, they, they don't want to talk about the blood. They don't want to sing about the blood. The, the, the blood, it, it makes us too weary. It makes us too icky. You know, that, that's the way I am. When I see blood, I, I, start, I start tingling. I'm like, I can't look at that. That's how people are in church, though. We don't want to sing about the blood of Jesus. We don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus. It, it, it causes too many problems. But the Bible says, out of the chain of blood, there is no remission. John writes in 1 John 1, 7 that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I want everybody to catch up with where we're at. Don't miss what we're about to talk about. Remember what has just happened, the Passover. Moses goes to Pharaoh in Egypt, the land of bondage. And he says, let my people go. He said, no. And so Moses went to the father of the house, every Jewish father, and he said at 3 p.m., at 3 p.m., the ninth hour, I want you to take that lamb and I want you to slit its throat and I want you to let it bleed out. Your Bible says in the New Testament that at 3 p.m., it was the ninth hour. Jesus had been hanging on that cross And it was the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Passover, 1,200 years after the first Passover, 1,200 years after Moses institutes the Passover, when he says to the Father, you at 3 p.m., you slaughter this lamb. It was 1,200 years later, another father put the lamb on a cross, and at 3 p.m., another lamb died. Blood was poured out. Blood was shed. That exact time, that exact time on the cross, Jesus died. This is not coincidence. This is God saying, listen up, listen up. Don't miss the story. Don't miss my great love story to you. Sacrifice is required. Blood must flow. But not only is the sacrifice required, but listen, sacrifice is required so the sin can be removed. Remember the story. What did the Jews do as soon as they, the Passover happened? They left in haste. 
They were told, get rid of the leaven. What did we say leaven represented in the Bible? Now listen, if we were to live in the days of Jesus, it would have been impossible to completely remove the leaven, to remove the yeast out of a Jewish household. Not possible. It was like flour. It was in the air. It was everywhere because this, remember Bethlehem means the house of bread. They're all about bread in this, in this society. All about those carbs. They could not have done the Atkins diet in the days of Jesus. They were all about the bread. (laughs) Yeast was flying all over the place. Leaven was flying all over the place. It would have been impossible. As hard as they tried, they could never have completely removed it out. Now, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they, they remove it out of their household, but quite honestly, they could not remove it all out. That's the thing about yeast. That's the thing about it. That once it gets into flour it, 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 and water, it grows. If you've ever worked with dough, you can attest to the fact that, that once yeast is added, there's no way to get it back out, is there? Once you put that yeast in the flour and the water, you cannot remove that yeast. Remember what we said it represented. Because of what Adam and Eve did, our ancestors, sin entered into a perfect world. We are now born into a sinful world. And no matter what we do, we cannot separate ourselves from sin. Just as once that yeast hits the the, the flour and the water, once it gets in, you cannot remove it. We are are born into sin. This is something that we cannot do ourselves. We we look at the situation and we say that a sacrifice is required for sin to be removed because I cannot do this myself. Being a good person doesn't work. Trying to give money and buy your salvation does not work. Trying, trying to, to, to do right. And, and some of us in our mind, we think if I do enough good, then bad, then surely God will let me into heaven. I cannot tell you how many people I've, I've spoken to and I've asked them this question. In your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? And time after time after time after time, they say, be a good person. Just do good. Do more good than bad and God will let you into heaven. Listen, that's entirely wrong. You cannot remove that sin. You can't remove the leaven completely out of your life. It's there. John the Baptist lifted up his eyes on the banks of the Jordan River, saw Jesus coming. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist identified for us what we needed to identify. We cannot remove sin from our life. Someone had to do it. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. Remember what we said. They they took that lamb in their house. That lamb became a pet. For three days, they examined that lamb to make sure that lamb was perfect, without spot, without blemish. Our sin requires a sin payment of blood of a perfect lamb. We can't do it ourselves. Salvation then is realized. We move from the sacrifice being required. Jesus died at the same time as the lamp. Sin is removed. We understand that leaven is sin. The Hebrews, they were in bondage. They were in bondage. Salvation, uh, uh, they, 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 they were needing salvation. 
The sacrificial blood began their salvation, but it did not fulfill their salvation. Did you hear me? Blood is required. Sacrifice is required, but, but there has to be something more that happens. The sacrificial blood began the process of salvation, but something else had to happen to finish the process. <laughs> not one day, not two days, but three days after the Lamb gave His blood, Moses stood before the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. Those Jews walked through that three days after the Passover meal. And it was at that point they realized their salvation. Christian, our salvation is not realized on the cross. The blood was necessary. The blood was required. But something else had to happen to seal the deal. Three days after Jesus died, the Bible says... Three days after his death on the cross, three days his body was laid in the tomb, three days of waiting for salvation, three days in this moment of sin being removed and him becoming sin, three days after all of this happened, he rose again, sealing the deal. Blood covers the sin. Blood covers the sin The resurrection seals the victory. The victory, Christian, is not the cross. The victory, Christian, is in the empty tomb. The cross is where the debt was paid. The victory is in the empty tomb. Now, there's four takeaways I want us to see from the Passover. Four things that I want you to be able to apply to your life. Number one. Everything you have done can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Or, as you can see on the screen, there's no sin too great. There's no sin too great. The Passover lamb is a cleansing lamb. God said, when I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over. Now, the blood had to be applied, didn't it? They could have known that the blood could save them. They could have had it in their head and known. They would have heard Moses tell them, take a lamb, kill the lamb, take the blood, apply it. They could have known that, but until they applied it, until they applied it, they wouldn't be saved until they applied it. One of the the things that breaks my heart, one of the hardest things, and Brother Joe, you can attest to this, one of the hardest things is to see people have a religion about Christ and not a relationship with Christ. You have a head knowledge of Jesus. You know Jesus died for your sins. You know that if I apply this blood here, I'll be saved. But it's not enough in knowing. Salvation does not come by knowing. Salvation is attained by trusting, believing, acting. I often say that Many, 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 many people will experience hell because of eight inches. You know what eight inches is? You know what that represents? Eight inches is the the distance from a person's head to a person's heart. You can have all the knowledge about Jesus. You understand, we don't even have the luxury of seeing Jesus be crucified. Satan saw it. Satan was there. Satan knows. He knows. He saw it that Jesus died on that cross. It's not enough to know it. It must move from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. It must move from a religion to a relationship. 
the hyssop branch, the hyssop branch, we said it was a weed. You know what the hyssop branch represents in our story? It's faith. It's weak. It's all over the place, but very few people use it. Hyssop in the Bible represents faith. Why is that? Because so few people use it. It's all around, but so few people use it. How do you apply the blood to the doorpost? By faith. You take that hyssop and you apply it by faith. That's how it's applied. By trusting, not by knowing, but by trusting by faith. You see, there's no way for a man or a woman to get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. No sin is too great. There's nothing you have done. There is nothing you have done that the blood of Jesus Christ has not or will not cover. Number two, genuine faith is a confessed faith. Genuine faith is a confessed faith. All faith, all genuine faith is confessed, it's professed, it's open, it's outward, it's public. In God's economy, there are no such thing as a secret disciple. (laughs) Remember, Remember, when they applied that blood to the doorpost of their home, they were taking a stand. They were saying to the Egyptians, we're Jews, we're trusting in the word of God. You may not believe us, but we're trusting. They took a stand. And so many people in our, our culture today, so many Christians, you, 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 you feel bad about your faith. You suppress your faith because you're worried what somebody's going to think if, if they find out you're a Christian. This is the first time in history we've ever experienced this. As a student of history, I, I've tried to find another time like ours where, 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 where Christians, Christians who, who, you know, we used to live outside the closet and sinners used to live in the closet. Used to, Christians lived outside the closet and weren't ashamed of it. Sinners lived in the closet. But now for the first time in history, sinners are coming out of the closet and the Christians are going into it. What in the world is going on? Don't be ashamed. Genuine faith is a confessed faith. If you confess me, Jesus said, before my Father, He will confess you. If you reject me, I will reject you, He says. No sin is too great. Don't worry about what other people think. Genuine faith is a confessed faith. Number three, we must look by faith, not by sight. You see, it would have been one thing for them to have heard the Word of God, intellectually responded to the Word of God, but yet still not put that blood on the doorpost. We've already dealt with this a little bit. But can you imagine? Put yourself back in the Passover. Here, here they have heard the Word of God. They've seen all the plagues, the nine plagues, just as Moses said, this is what's going to happen. God came true on His promise all nine times. Now put yourself in the average Jewish household. Can you imagine the firstborn son in a Jewish family? And the daddy and the, the, the family, they, 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 they slay that little lamb. They put the, the blood on the doorpost. And the son, of course, recognizes, he realizes that he was the one who was targeted for judgment. He is the firstborn son. And this firstborn son turns to his daddy and he says, Daddy, I'm afraid. Daddy, am I going to die tonight? And the father says, Son... We applied the blood as the Word of God said, we'll be saved. And the little boy says, but Daddy, I I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. 
And the daddy would say, but son, salvation is not based upon feelings. Salvation is based upon the word of God. Our security is upon the word of God. One of the struggles that so many Christians have is that they, they, they go from being lost to saved. We, 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 we can't determine in our mind, am I saved or am I lost? Am I saved or am I lost? And we struggle with our eternal security. I want you in your Bible to turn right now to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you something and teach you something from God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see... If we as Christians will apply this to our life, if we will take Ephesians 1, 13 and following, and we apply this to our life, we will be a force to be reckoned with. You, know, you understand that doubting your salvation does not come from God. You understand that, right? God would not want you to doubt salvation. Who would want you to doubt your salvation? Well, Satan would. Think about it. If I was a car salesman and I didn't believe in my product, how good of a, pro- how good of a salesman am I going to be? If I don't trust my product, I don't believe in my product, I'm not going to sell my product. Well, as Christians, we're called witnesses. And, and if I don't know that I'm a witness, if I'm struggling with my own security in Christ, then how am I going to be a witness to share my faith with others? Your Bible says in Ephesians 1.13, look at it. In Him or in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, right there, in Ephesians 1.13, from that underlying gospel of your salvation and out from it, write down 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4. That's where the gospel is defined. So Ephesians 1.13, in him, in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, what is the gospel? It's the good news. 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He was buried. He rose again on the third day according to the scripture. That's the gospel. That's what saves us, placing our faith and trust in that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. That's how we are saved. So go back to Ephesians 1. In Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, so it had to be proclaimed. Somebody had to proclaim this message. I'm thankful as a 17-year-old boy in a little small church in Maryville, Tennessee, somebody proclaimed the message of the gospel, and I heard it. But is it just enough in hearing the gospel? Does that save us? No, go on in your Bible, Ephesians 1.13. In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, what does the next phrase say? Having believed. That's where it goes from hear knowledge to heart knowledge. That goes from the brain to the heart, from hearing it to believing it. So when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, the Bible says. Now, look at what the next phrase says. Having believed, you were what? Marked in him with the precious Holy Spirit or the spirit of promise. That means when you were saved, God put a deposit in you. He placed in you a piece of heaven. Have we arrived yet? Have we arrived in our salvation yet? I can assure you that as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that my body is not getting better, it's getting worse. Salvation means that things get better, not worse. So I understand that I have, I, I, while I have salvation, I've not fully obtained my salvation yet. But what he says in Ephesians 1 is that when you heard and you believed, he marked in you a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is your who? Your deposit. Your Bible says he is your guarantee. Look at it in your Bible. Who is your inheritance? 
If I were to take a $100 bill to the bank and I deposit it, what are they going to give me? A certificate of deposit, a receipt. God has given you, Christian, a certificate of deposit. Can you take that certificate of deposit and, and go and buy a hamburger with it? McDonald's is going to look at you and say, Puh. right? You can't buy anything with a certificate. You, you haven't arrived in your salvation yet. But what happens when you take that certificate of deposit and you go back to the bank? Are they going to give you your money? You, you're good for it, right? You see, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Ephesians 1, He is our deposit. He is our, he is our slip. He is letting us know. He's our receipt of what is good that is going to come. You see, Christian, God has secured you so much. He has placed the Spirit of God in your life. He walks with you, he talks with you, he shares with you, he convicts you, he talks to you, he moves through you, he speaks to you. This is, again, confirmation over and over and over again that Jesus lives in your life. Number four. Number four, God loves you. No sin is too great. Genuine faith is a confessed faith. We must... Look by faith, not by sight. And number four, God loves you. This is what this story is about, right? It's about God's love, the Passover. It's not about blood, it's about love. We have new life in Christ. He's given us new life through his love. He's given us new liberty. You, you understand, when you come into Christ, you don't have to live under the bondage of sin. He's broken sin. He's broken the yoke of slavery. He's given us new life. He's given us new liberty. And he's also promised us a new land. Just as he promised the, the, the Jews, Passover, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. Yet again, yet again in our story of the Passover, he has promised us a new land. We've not arrived in it yet. We're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to it. We're not storing up treasures here on earth, but we're storing up treasures there in heaven. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. But while God tarries, while God leaves us here, listen, friend, you and I have business to do. You and I have not been doing the business we should be doing. We've been lazy. We've been in the closet. We've been letting the world go by. We, we've been looking at our leaven and saying, I can't do anything because I've got all this leaven in me. I've got all this sin in me. Look back at what God has said. Look back at his great love story. Look at what all he has done. We, we look at this and we say, there's no way. This is too impossible. There's no way God can do this. Look at the, what we're saying. What did God do? He parted the Red Sea. You say, well, he's never parted the Red Sea for me. If you're saved, he did something larger than parting the Red Sea. He stepped out of heaven and stepped in your life. You walked on the dry land in between judgment and hell. That's what the waters were, judgment and hell. You walked right in between it, not in your own doing, not in your own work. You see, there's so many things we can draw out of this, but the point is this, Christian. Don't miss God's love story. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, if you think your salvation is based upon being good or doing good or, or, or trying to pull yourself up, what I want you to hear is this. Don't let your knowledge send you to hell. Allow what's in your head to transition to your heart and allow it to become faith. Trust in Him.